Good morning, everybody. All right, I love seeing you guys greet people. One of, uh, one of the best parts of my job is well, every week, I bet more than anyone else, I get to see what an amazing church this is. So if you're new and you're visiting us, I want, let, me, let me just tell you something about this church. This church has a special passion and gift of hospitality. We love to welcome new people. That's been going on for a long time. My first time at this church, I felt so welcome during some of these little handshaking high five moments. But I also see behind the scenes the generosity, the sacrificial generosity and the kindness and the love of this church. Like every week I am talking to people hearing stories of just amazing things, whether it's little things, just the day-to-day things in the household or the bigger things, ways in which people are living courageously for Jesus in their marriage, with their children, with their roommates, on their campuses. It's a privilege to be with you and to be a pastor at your church. Thank you, church family, for just being awesome. This morning, um, before we jump into an amazing passage, I want to just give two quick announcements. Number one, we have a memory verse. So did you get a little card on your chair? We have a memory verse. Every month we have a great memory verse. Don't get all performance anxiety on me. Don't worry. If you don't memorize it, no one's going to know. But it's a great way for you to get into God's word, memorize it, invite your roommates to do it with you, do it with your spouse, your kids. Uh, I got people sending me videos of three-year-old kids memorizing these scriptures. Pretty amazing. Amazing. So get into God's word. Number two, tomorrow night at 8 p.m. in the chapel, we're having our follow-up meeting with all the men. Come on, men. Come on, men in the house. Uh, uh, About a month or so ago, we just had a spontaneous moment of just praying for fathers. And that kind of moment just bled into this follow-up where we just said, hey, let's just gather a bunch of guys together and just pray and see what God's doing. I thought 50 guys would show up, honestly. 200 guys showed up to pray, to get real with God. Isn't that awesome? I just am so encouraged. We have an amazing women's ministry, and it's encouraging to see now the men really rallying and wanting to come together to just walk more strongly and deeply with Jesus. So tomorrow night, 8 to 9 p.m., join us in the chapel. It's enough time for you to put your kids down clean up some dishes, and come join us. Come on, now you heard me say it. All right, but we're going into God's word. You guys ready for this? We got an incredible passage, all right? The title of my sermon today, I'm stealing from Nick's creative title making. You ready? It is called Labor, Onesies, and the End of All Things. That's today. So stand up and join me. If you prefer to be seated, remain seated. We're going to read read God's word. Mark chapter 13, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these, when will these things happen? What will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? And Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, 
do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Come on now, let's just pray together. Lord, we just thank you for your word, your enduring word. It speaks to us today. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word endures forever. We pray, speak to us today, Lord. You've created us to be people of hope in trying times. As we pray that you would infuse us afresh with supernatural hope. For anyone here this morning, Lord, that is new to this church, new to the Christian scene, I pray that they would see this passage for what it was meant to be, an invitation to a radical hope in the midst of tumultuous times. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us with hope again. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Wow. So here we are. We're in an amazing passage about the end times. And there's a lot you could say about the topic of end times and the misuse of this particular teaching of Jesus by Christians for thousands of years. The way it has been used to sensationalize what Jesus meant, to to use it as a fear weapon to pressure people into a kind of pseudo type of conversion out of fear, which I don't think is the Lord's way. Fear has its place, healthy fear, but that's not what the Lord is trying to do here. He's not trying to whip us up into a state of fear and panic. It's been used in ways to sell books and to get people amped up. And to be honest, it's, been, it's caused a lot of harm. But today, we're going to look at what Jesus is doing here, why he teaches on this important topic, and why understanding the end of all things is actually good news. What is the good news in this? What does Jesus want to do in us? And the way that Jesus wants to instill in us a hope that no matter what is happening in the world, we can see that God is at work and he's bringing it to a glorious outcome. That's what he wants to do. Now, um, I want to get us into context in this passage so we can understand it. Let's go right here. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. He's looking out at the temple in Jerusalem. And as he's looking out at the temple, it helps us understand that this whole teaching and this whole look to the future is first and foremost about the immediate future of the temple. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's holding two things in tension at the same time, and he's kind of alternating between these two future realities. The first is the immediate future. Within 37 years, 
the temple is going to be torn down. Titus, King Ty, or, uh, General Titus of the Roman army is going to lay siege on Jerusalem. And in 70 AD, the temple will be destroyed. That is 37 years from this moment. And Jesus is looking ahead and he's letting his disciples know that day is coming. But then secondly, he's holding that intention with this larger vision of the end of all things. When the entire world like the temple, is going to come to an end. Jesus is going to return, and he is going to bring into judgment all of the evil and the sin and the injustice of our world, and he is going to usher in the glorious kingdom of his Father, and he is going to make all things right. Isn't that good news? And it's that hope that Jesus wants to instill and renew in our hearts today. And so, as we look at this passage, um, we are coming to the end of Mark, we're coming to the end of Jesus' ministry together, we started back in August, and now we're coming to Jesus' words about the end of the temple. For thousands of years, this temple has been the focal point of their faith, and he's saying that day is coming to an end, and something new and more glorious will replace it. And then we're talking about the end of the world. Now, why does Jesus go into this? Why does he want to go into all this chaos and tribulation and the hard times that are coming? Is it to frighten us? Is it to overwhelm us? Is it to turn us into like little sign hunters looking for the signs so that we can, you know, find our bunker and run for cover? Why does Jesus want to talk about these hard times? And that brings me to um, the title of my message, Labor, Onesies, and the End of All Things. And I want to talk to you about when my wife and I were getting coached to have our first child. We were getting coached around this process of having a child without an epidural. Yeah, my wife decided she wanted to be crazy and didn't want to have that pain blocker and just wanted to do it naturally. That, my wife is amazing. I mean, I have a whole other level of like, woeness when I look at her. But when I was being coached to help her through the labor, it was all about how to help her manage the pain. And so they would talk about the pain, the pain of the labor contractions and what we were going to go through. And I was being coached on how to help her understand and remember that the pain was not unto death. The pain was unto new life. Because naturally when the body feels pain, it wants to clench up and tighten up. And that only makes the labor and delivery process harder and slower. And so I was given all these little tricks of the trade to help her manage her pain. One of them was a onesie. So I was to hold up a onesie when she was being racked with the pain of contractions that want to just literally tear her womb and her body asunder. The onesie was a little sign of hope <laughs> that the pain was bringing something glorious, that new life was coming. You with me? You got me? So there we are. We're in the hospital, and she's being racked with pain. The baby's being a little bit stubborn, so she's on Pitocin, and her contractions aren't doing this. They're doing this. She is going through, like, extended high-intensity contractions and pain, and I'm doing all the tricks that I was taught, you know, and I'm ready for it. And we've been doing so well so far, and she's been managing it. And then I hold up the onesie. She's like, I can't take it anymore. And I hold up the onesie, and I go, look, look, something glorious is coming. And it worked. Okay, okay, okay. And she calmed down, and I helped her through each of these waves of contractions. And then there came a point at which 
the pain got to the point where it was getting hard to bear, and I held up the onesie, and she's like, I don't want to see that, and she swatted it. <laughs> and then with the other hand, she just open hand slapped me across the face. <laughs> Jesus is holding up the onesie in this moment because he wants us to understand that the trials that we go through in this life, in this world, are the birth pains of a glorious life that is coming. And that is true on a personal level when we go through personal trials. They are not pleasant, they are hard. And it's also true about the larger scale trials and tribulations that are coming upon our world on a global and cosmic scale so that Jesus wants us to be a people that when we see those tribulations, we don't panic, but we see the hope of what is coming, and we can be God's people of hope in a world that is panicking. We don't run for cover. We are the people who run into the storm, into the burning building to bring the hope of God to our loved ones. That's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus has given us a roadmap to guide us so that we can stand firm in the crisis and chaos of our day as God's people of hope. So how does this passage help us do that? First, I want to show you a book. Um, this is the book, a great book that I used, And the Lamb Wins, and Why the End of the World is Really Good News. If you want some help understanding about end times and how actually it doesn't have to be this fearful, crazy, upsetting thing, but actually an amazing anchor of hope in our life when things are going upside down, read this book. You may not agree with everything he says, but he has an incredible perspective, very biblically rooted, that I think you'll find encouraging. All right? I used it, so check it out. We'll have it on our website, so if you don't get a snapshot of it, you can come back to it. But here we go. How do we become people of hope and stand firm? Number one, Jesus want, prepares us for the birth pains. We need to know that birth pains will come so that we're not shocked or surprised or dismayed by them and we don't panic. Number two, we need to be anchored in his promises because our hope is only as strong as our feet, that the promises that we're holding on to. And so he's going to anchor us in a firm hope that holds to his promises because in our life, when we go through trials, what we put our hope in is exposed. The promises that we cling to, the promise of a degree, the promise of a loved one who will spend the rest of their life with us, the promise of a great career, the promise of a home that never has disaster, never has leaks in it, that never has roof problems, that never has sewage problems. Are you with me? We have these promises about the future that are the basis of our hope, and what Jesus wants to give us are promises that are absolutely unshakable so that your hope is unshakable. Okay? Here we go. Let's start with the birth pains. Uh, let's go back to the passage. Verse 7, Jesus says this. Such things, what? They must happen. He's telling us right now, look, as my people just know, trials are going to come. They must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines, but pay attention. These are the, the beginning of the birth pains, not the end. Now that's an important word. That word beginning is so important that we get that because if you don't understand 
that these are the beginning and not the end of the birth pains, and you're going to go to the hospital too early. Let me explain. When, you get, when, a, when a woman gets pregnant, I don't know, I, I almost said when we get pregnant, um, so humble thyself, Ryan. <laughs> Pregnancy actually has many kinds of contractions. I don't know. Guys, did you know that? There's many kinds of contractions. There's Braxton Hicks contractions. Those contractions can start as early as 16 weeks. Active labor contractions don't really typically start until week 40. Okay, but 16 weeks in, you can start having contractions. Those are Braxton Hicks. Now, you can also have false labor contractions. And if you don't know how to differentiate between those false labor contractions and active labor, you can find yourself at the hospital too early. Oh my gosh, the baby's coming, the baby's coming. And you're there, and you're going to be there for maybe a couple days. And you get sent home. That happens. And we, as the people of God, if we don't understand that these trials and tribulations in the world are the beginning of the birth pains, we can find ourselves misunderstanding the times and thinking, oh, this is the end, when Jesus says, no, those are the beginning and misunderstand the timetables. Now, what Jesus is giving us here is not a timetable on how to plot the dates of when Jesus is going to return. And people have been doing that for a long time. Jesus is trying to equip us with a posture, a spiritual mindset, and a lifestyle that is unshakable when the world is shaking all around us. And so he, tell, he warns us, birth pains will come. Don't panic. Listen to this. Let's look at these birth pains. Number one, he talks about the birth pain of deception, that in the end times, there's going to be a spread of false messiahs um, propagating false hopes and false security. And along with that, we'll see the rise of culture speaking and preaching its deceptive and empty philosophies to replace biblical wisdom. Can you see that in our culture today? It's a foot. And when we see those things, we can panic and think, it's all coming to an end. Oh my gosh, look what's happening. And she's like, calm yourself down. Don't be alarmed, he says. There's going to be false teachings. Don't be alarmed. He's not saying stick your head in the sand and be passive. He's saying, don't become anxious. Number two, distress. There's going to be distress. Now, that word is in verse 19. I didn't read it in the main section, so let me read it to you right now. In verse 18, he says, pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequal from the beginning, when God created the world until now and never to be equaled. Now, that word distress is a Greek word, thalipsis, and it can be translated tribulation. Have you ever heard of the great tribulation? Okay, so that's, that's the word here, tribulation. And so Jesus identifies the tribulation by wars, earthquakes, famines, and political upheaval. Now, that's important. Okay, so have we seen those? Yes. Now, remember, Jesus is going to return. We are in the last days, yet people have been seeing earthquakes and political upheaval for 2,000 years. We have to keep that in mind because when we see political upheaval, when the U.S. sends troops into Iraq or when we see a global pandemic or when Rome collapsed or much you know, earlier on and long ago, 
people, Christians have falsely assumed, oh, now it's happening. And that kind of going to the hospital too early, it breeds a false hope. And what happens is that people become cynical about Jesus ever returning because people are thinking, oh, he's returning now. He's returning now. It's like, no, no, no. These are the beginning and people misinterpret things. And what happens is it becomes a bit of a cry wolf thing. Jesus is going to come. We hold to that. But looking at the, at the birth pains and going, oh, it's going to happen now. Because look, what's happening in the Middle East. That kind of stuff disillusions people and causes people to lose faith that he will ever return. It's a false hope. So listen, there's going to be deception and distress and political upheaval. Look, verse 12, there's going to be death. In other words, Christians will experience all this. Even though Jesus died on the cross to free us from the power of death, we're going to continue to see these birth pains. And so persecution, polarization, division in families and society. Have we seen those? Even just as recently during COVID, we're going to see those. Verse 14, the abomination that causes desolation, much to be said on that. I won't do that today. However, it represents acute manifestations of human beings assuming the throne of God over humanity, taking positions, replacing God and assuming a position of Godhood over humanity. In the early days with the Roman Empire, it was the Caesars assuming divinity. They claimed to be divine sons of God. This is the idea of the Antichrist, world leaders who galvanize people around them against God's purposes and God's people in the world. And we see little antichrists, and there's going to be larger antichrists. Little antichrists are just the ways in which people tempt us to remove God from the throne of our life and not trust him with our finances, with our health, with our kids. And so we make these things idols because we're afraid. And it makes us vulnerable and easily manipulated by deception. When we don't understand that these things must happen. And what Jesus is showing us is no matter how dark it gets in our lives personally and in culture, God is working everything for his purposes. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be grief. But the sorrow and the grief doesn't mean that Jesus has abandoned us or that he has failed us any more than his death on the cross meant he failed as Savior and as Messiah. Are you with me? Now, this is going to get really crucial. Let me just take you to this amazing list of things here. Why does Jesus point to the birth pains? Why do we need to understand birth pain? Well, if you're going to go into labor, you want to know the birth pains. So you're not shocked by him going, I am going to die because if you've gone through labor, it feels like your body is just going to be torn from top to bottom. And you can panic and you could tighten up. And so it's a way of knowing, no, 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 no. This must happen. Don't panic. So watch here, four things. Number one, why does Jesus point to the birth pains? Number one, so we don't become triumphalists so that we don't buy into a Christianity without 
sacrifice, without suffering, without trial. There is a stream of Christianity that wants to tell us that we can, if we follow Jesus just right, if we have just the right kind of faith, you will not have to suffer hardship, trial, or death, or sickness, and we have to be careful of that. There's a version of Christianity that is triumphalistic, that doesn't know how to understand hardship and suffering as an essential part of carrying our cross and following Jesus. It is the disciples rejecting Jesus when he said, the son of man must suffer and die. And Peter said, it will never happen to you. And what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. That is not Jesus' brand of faith. We must carry our cross. That's different than being overcomers and victorious. But Christian's victory, the Christian victory is going through the storm, not running and hiding from it. Number two, so we don't become alarmists, right? And that's what we see end time stuff doing, right? Where we become conspiracy junkies or sign hunters. You see the signs? You see the signs? The purpose of the signs are not to create a timeline model. The purpose of recognizing signs is to strengthen our faith and, and make us people of hope that no matter when God comes back, no matter what, he, what is going on in the world, Jesus has already won and he's going to return and make things right. Now, I want to just highlight an example. One of the ways we, get, we become alarmists and we become actually um, conspiracy junkies is around trying to predict when he'll return. But listen to what Jesus says very clearly in verse 32. It's not on the board, but just listen to it. Verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Can everyone say no one? No one. No one. I don't know why, but for 2,000 years, people have believed that they've heard from God, that they are the prophecy expert and have found the timeline, and they know when it's going to happen. My friends, that sets us up for deception, manipulation, and actually it sets us up for false hopes and disillusionment. Listen to what he says. Not even angels in heaven know, and get this, nor the Son not even Jesus. Like, I don't even know. So anyone who comes around going, oh, 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 you see the sign? It's coming. It's coming. It's like, dude, didn't you read Mark 13, 32? No one knows. But I'll tell you when you can know. We'll get to that. But only the Father. Now, if you don't know that, then you can be easily deceived and you can get your hopes up and then go, oh my gosh, maybe this Christianity thing is a big bunch of junk. And that has happened to people. People are disillusioned with Christianity because of all the predictors and false prophesying that's happened. Now, the third thing is, so we're not discouraged. He goes through the birth pains. We don't get discouraged and misunderstand that when we go through trials in our life, because sometimes it, the world is not ending, but we go through things that make us feel like our world is ending. Are you with me? Come on now. This week, you don't, we're all good, so don't worry. You don't need to help us with anything, but this week, my daughter had a concussion, and on the same day, my son went into surgery, and on the same day, a water line broke and flooded the garage. All on the same day. I got friends who got sewage lines breaking. Come on, anyone here got a trial this week? Ever have moments when it feels like your world's coming to an end? Like the end times is not coming to the world, this is coming to you. You know the old saying, when it rains, it pours. 
And so we can get discouraged and misunderstand when we go through these trials that God has failed us or that God has forgotten us. But when we understand that trials must come, we're reminded that Jesus allows us to go through trials so that we are witnesses to the world in the trial. Because the world is watching us when we grieve our loved ones who die. When I went through five years of depression, I don't think God causes the depression any more than God is all throwing down death on us. I think that is the cause of sin in the world. But he allows us to be here in those trials so that we become his people of hope to others who are going through it who don't know Jesus Christ. So I talk about my depression because if you are in this room and you're going through that and you think you're alone and that God can't meet you or that's a sign that God has abandoned you, I can tell you right now that's a lie. That is a lie. And no matter how dark your life feels right now, there is a hope and a light that can reach you no matter how dark it is. Jesus will come and he will get you if you'll turn your heart to him. Now that is good news to the world. Listen to 1 Peter. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. So the trials and tribulations of the end times are not for us to run from or be afraid of. It is the th- it's being with Christ in the thick of what he experienced. Get this. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Can we just say that? Glory is just around the corner. If you're going through trials in your life, glory is just around the corner. That is the good news of Jesus' return. No matter how dark it's getting, no matter how upside down your life is, glory is just around the corner. That's not triumphalism Christianity. That is hopeful Christianity. Because hopeful Christianity looks at trials and looks through the trial to the hope on the other side. Hopeful Christianity understands that there is a place for the inevitability of suffering, and even death in our life. But there's hope on the other side of that suffering. Are you with me? Glory is just around the corner. Where do you need to hear that in your life right now? And when the world is upside down and being shaken in the heavens, God has put us here to be a people of hope who can turn to their neighbor and say, don't be afraid. Hope, glory, is around the corner. Can I tell you about him? That's who we are. Isn't that awesome? That's good news. Let's talk about the hope for a minute. That's what we're talking about here. The birth pains, the promises that anchor our hope. Let's talk about that. Verse 26. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. So when are we going to know when Jesus is returning? Here we go. You ready? I'm going to give you the secret. Actually, Jesus is. Is it when there's earthquakes? Is it when Russia invades somebody? Anybody? Is it when chaos is unleashed in the Middle East? No, because that's been going on for 2,000 years, my friends. I mean, the world has seen such massive upheaval. I can't even imagine what it was like to go through World War I and in the same generation for people who fought World War I to go through World War II and in the midst of that go through a Great Depression and before all that suffer through the Spanish flu pandemic that was worse than COVID. 
That, mu- that should have been the end of the world, but it wasn't. Listen, Jesus is returning. The world will come to an end as we know it, but those are the birth pains. When will we know that Jesus is returning and it's time? I'll read it to you again. Here we go. At that time, people will what? They're going to see the Son of Man coming, and he's not going to come in secret. He's not going to come in a disguise. He's not going to come in some crafty, hidden, you know, codes that you need to break to find him. He's going to come, my friends, in the clouds. And it's a metaphor. And, or maybe literally, he could. But it represents the fact that it will be in a way that everybody will recognize. You can't escape it. You will know. Just the way you know, you knew how serious I was about my wife when she started walking down the altar. Now you know how serious I am. Boom, we're, we're, we're getting married. It's a, it's a moment that everyone in the world will recognize. And he will come with great power and glory and he will send his angels and he will gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Isn't that good news? Jesus is returning, my friends. Do you have that hope? Is your hope in the future in a promise of God's goodness for you in your life, or is it in you doing the best you can with what you have? I want to give you four promises that Jesus has for you about your future, no matter who you are. And if you want these promises for your life, then open your heart to Jesus. Here we go. Ready? Let's go. Number one, the promise of God's presence with us no matter what we go through God is going to be with us. My friends, listen to this. No matter what you're going through, the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is essential to understand in times of trial and as we live in the end of days. The Holy Spirit is so important, we're going to dedicate eight weeks to the Holy Spirit after Easter. We need to understand the role of the the Spirit. The way the Holy Spirit strengthens our hope, energizes us with spiritual understanding with the inner strength to not capitulate to the fear of the world, but to stand firm in hope and in faith when everybody else is panicking. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. And the Holy Spirit emboldens us, giving us in the end times when everyone is hating us and judging us as narrow-minded, prejudicial, hateful people, emboldens us with a message of love to take to the world. Isn't that good news? And maybe you're lacking boldness in your life. Maybe you're like, I don't know, I don't like to share my faith because I'm afraid that everyone's going to reject me and think I'm weird. You might need some boldness from the Holy Spirit because in the end times, the people of God will be tempted to give up on sharing their faith out of fear of being um, pushy or being a car salesman or no offense, car salesman, we love you, we love you. (laughs) I mean that in the bad way, not in the good way that you are. And we stop witnessing, we stop sharing our faith. Number two, the second promise. So number one, you can have the Holy Spirit working in your life, guiding you and giving you boldness. Number two, verse 26, Jesus' return. In power and glory, a public spectacle for all to see. Which means this, no matter what is going on in the world, no matter how bad it is, the entire world is not moving to hell in a handbasket. Let me explain that. There is a mindset that the world is going to hell in the hands basket. And it's not just Christians who are viewing that. There are environmentalist apocalyptics who are looking at the end of the world because we are not taking care of the environment. Now, I think there's some truth there. We have neglected the environment, no doubt. 
But they are looking at the world going to hell in the handbasket, whereas followers of Jesus are looking with a completely different lens. Yeah, there's going to be birth pains, but the best is yet to come. The Son of Man is coming, and he is going to make all things new. That is a different mindset. Christians are not looking forward to everything going to hell in a handbasket. That is a chicken little, the sky is falling. We're looking ahead, not just at the birth pains, but through the birth pains, Jesus is coming back and he's gonna make everything new and we're gonna rise with him. Do you wanna be a part of that party? Come on. Do you wanna get in on that party? Because I'll tell you right now, Jesus came and he died on the cross, a brutal death to show us that death is not the end. Death is only the beginning of the glorious life that he is going to bring to this world and to us. So when we look at death, we see it as the beginning, not the end. Let me tell you a story real quick. I was at the chapel this last Sunday night, and I just, at the end, at the, at people were marching in. No, it was Thursday, sorry, Thursday, during our worship prayer night. I see a woman sitting alone in the foyer of the chapel, and I walked over and sat next to her. I was like, how are you doing? She's like, you know, my sister died just 10 minutes ago. And she was sad. And there was grief. And uh, I didn't say anything. I just sat there quiet with her. And we sat in silence for probably about 30 seconds. And then she said, you know, I just got this picture in my mind. I just keep seeing her with Jesus. And then I see her being reunited with my dad, our dad, who died a while back. And she just looked at me with the most incredible, I don't know how to explain it to you, but like, like, a, like a, 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 an expression of sadness and peace. I don't know, it was just made me cry. It was so beautiful. Not because the sadness is a great thing, but you see, hope in Jesus' return allows us to face tribulations and mourn and grieve them as we should without the fear that the grief is going to swallow us up because someone has gone into the heart of darkness of that grief and has come out the other side. Hope in his return allows us to look through trials and through them to the glory that is just around the corner. Do you see what I'm saying? It allows us to mourn with hope. It allows us to grieve in a healthy way, but with a hope that the best is yet to come. The Christian victory over death in this life is not in that people aren't going to die because we are all going to lose our loved ones and we are going to die. You're going to die. Spoiler alert. Our children are going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. The Christian victory is in that our victory over death is in a resurrection. It is not in a healing that will keep us alive forever until Jesus returns. Does Jesus heal today? He does. He does amazing things. I've watched it with my own eyes. I've seen people healed of cancer. I've seen people healed of incredible sickness, metastasized cancer, but is every person healed? They are not because every person 
this side of, of Jesus' return is going to die. And our confidence is in the resurrection because Jesus is returning. And that's good news. Where's your hope? Where is our career as a hope when we're facing these moments? I've never met a person who said, I wish I had worked a little bit more. Never met him. My friends, Jesus is coming back. And he's going to come back either at the end of your life and he's going to come back at the end of this world's time. And he's going to come and get you and he's going to gather you with his people. Look at this. This is the next promise. Gathered, verse 27. We will all be gathered together with Jesus in glory. And that's good news. Let me say this and I'll, before I wrap up. Every time you come to church, you are giving a living sign to the world that Jesus is returning. When we gather as a church, we gather as a sign of faith that one day Christ is returning and he's gonna gather us, my friends. I got some news for you. You're gonna be gathered with all those other Christians that maybe you're kind of annoyed with and wanna get away from. <laughs> the liberal Christians, the conservative Christians, the Democrat Christians, the Republican, the independents, right? Even like, um, you know, the libertarian Christians, all those guys, all those people, yeah, uh, I know. Did I cross some lines there? I know. But faith in Jesus' death and resurrection and return unites us. And we, he is coming back to gather us. And every time you go through the hassle of getting your kids out the door and getting your shower and getting here, I know it's a hassle. Anyone here have a hard time getting to church today? Raise your hand. Come on, now get it on time. Just a few of you want to be honest. Every time you gather here, physically with people of faith. You're renewing your faith in Jesus' return and in his promise to gather us together with his people. And then lastly, the promise of God's word that no matter what technology does, I don't care about meta, I don't care if we get to the day where we don't even need phones, things are just telegraphed in front of us through some kind of weird contact lenses. I don't care about AI and what AIs are doing. I'm telling you right now, the word of God is gonna be enduring the enduring wisdom and authority of God in our life. Listen to Jesus' word right here as we, before we invite the band out. In verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words, get this, will what? Never, Never pass away. My friends, the promises of God in his word are God's wisdom for us. I don't care if Jesus doesn't return for 100 years, 200 years, or 1,000. His word will never go out of fashion, never go out of style, and will always be a beacon for us on this world until he returns. And that's his promise to you. His word will never pass away. It's a promise for you today. I want to invite the band to come on out. As the band comes out, I just want to invite you to consider where your hope is in your future. What are the promises that you hold on to? I don't know, when I was fasting one time, I realized how much of a promise I put in that evening meal. Sometimes our promise is God bringing the love of our life so we're never having to go home alone. Sometimes our future is in going to a certain college or getting onto a certain team or it's having a certain financial kind of portfolio. We have our promises that we put our hope in. And sometimes it's not until we're in trial that the weakness of those promises is exposed. 
But today, the Lord wants to invite you to a greater promise, the promise of his return for you. Because look, guys, the end is going to come in one of two ways. The end is going to come for you when you breathe your last breath on this earth. And the world as it is may go on for another millennia, but your days are numbered. And eventually, yes, in God's timing, this world will pass away as well. And it will give way to a new heavens and a new earth. But do you know for certain that Jesus is going to come for you? Do you have that hope in him? I'm not talking about fear. I'm talking not about fear being left behind. I'm talking about hope in Jesus' love for you. Do you have that? Take a moment, reflect, and then we'll pray. God puts people in our life to point us to the hope that is in Christ. When I was going through that depression period, God put people in my life to point me to that hope. And one of those people is in this room this morning, a mentor and dear friend and my pastor, Mark Slomka, is in the house. Can you just give a round of applause to this mighty man of God? I won't make him stand up here because I don't want to embarrass him, but God puts people in our life to point us to the only sure hope for our future. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, listen, this world and your life is going to suffer tribulation, trial, betrayal, and death. That will be in our life. But there is a hope that transcends, that has broken through that darkness, that is ready to take a hold of every one of our hands and lead us through to the other side. We are those people of hope for this world. But before you can become that hope, you have to accept that hope for yourself. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, the hope of your future and your present, I just wanna invite you right now, just wherever you're standing, to see this as a symbol of commitment and humble receiving of Jesus into your life as that hope. As we do this right now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to do this with us as a symbol that you are receiving Jesus as your hope. You ready? Okay, here we go. You can find that little plastic layer up there and just pull that one back right there. Yeah, it's kind of hard. It's a little see-through. Let's hold up the bread, the little wafer. Let's hold it up for a minute. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Jesus was broken so that you might be healed and restored. Let's eat this in remembrance of him. He held up a cup of wine and he said, this is my body. Or, I'm sorry, this is the wine of the new covenant for the forgiveness of your sin. He said, this represents my blood. So listen, pause for a minute. If there is sin in your life that you need forgiveness for, sin on the way here to church, sin last night, sin 10 years ago that just won't let you go, bring it to Jesus right now. Maybe it's the sin of living your life without him on the throne of your life. Then bring that to him and surrender yourself. Maybe there's sin 
that's been committed against you that you need to forgive. There's somebody in your life that you need to forgive. As we drink this, let's drink this and receive his forgiveness for us and through us to others. You ready? Let's drink this in remembrance of Jesus. If you, if today this represents you accepting Jesus as Savior or renewing your faith in Jesus as the hope of your life, then I want to invite you just to raise your hand for a minute so we can pray for you. If that's you, just put your hand up. I want to pray for you right now. Or if you would like to do that, promise we're not going to try to sell you anything. We're just going to pray for you real quick. Anybody here? Yeah, I see you, brother. I see you. Anybody else? Ready to say, yep, I see you. I see you guys over here. This side's all lit up. Okay, I got you. Anyone over here want to compete with these guys? I got you. Anyone over here in the back? I see you, brother, in the very, very back corner, bro. Uh, yeah, I see you. I see you guys back there. I see you. I see you. All right, let's pray. If you raise your hand, let's just pray together. Speak with me. Lord Jesus. Oh, you got you have to say his name a little bit. There we go. Let's try it again. Jesus, I receive you. Your death, your resurrection, and your return as the hope of my life the forgiveness of my sins, the power to forgive others, and the hope of eternal life. Please fill me with your spirit. Give me your boldness. Give me your new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give a round of applause to these guys. Before you leave, we have a prayer team that's up here. It's ready to pray. If you raise your hand, would you just come down? Let us pray with you. We have some free gifts we want to give you. And don't let this moment just be an emotional moment. Let it stick and take root. God bless you guys. I'll see you outside with lollipops.